This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello, divers. Welcome back to the Spear Factors Spearfishing Podcast. Today, I speak with veteran diver Mr. Bill Wagner from San Diego, California. Bill started diving in the 1960s and was president of the San Diego Freedivers at one time. He and I discuss how some things have changed over the years from the marine environment to the equipment. And throughout the interview, he shares some really, uh, really cool stories about white shark, uh, white shark encounter in La Jolla to traveling through Baja and conservation. Uh, I talked to Bill about ethical fishing practices and things that he's seen in the past and just get his opinion on it in general. Also, I wanted to thank uh, Bill's friend Tom Harding for linking us up uh, through the website. He messaged me saying I should have his legendary friend on the show. And so I reached out to Bill and here you go. But first, as always, we've got to give a uh, little shout out to our sponsors, Ted Hardy, Immersion Freediving, um, freedivingsafety.com. Thanks, Ted, for all the support and everything you do for the community. Our next sponsor is Hot Rod Spear Guns. Uh, Paul has offered us 10% discount with a promo code SPEARFACTOR. So thanks, Paul, for making badass guns and uh, providing a hookup for our listeners. And Chimera's Side Slip. So Kamira Side Slip, you can purchase those at Kamira Spearfishing. That's K-I-M-E-R-A. And basically, I've talked about the side slip before on the show. It's kind of the benefits of a slip tip without worrying about breaking your tip hunting around rocks. Uh, it replaces the flopper with a side slip. Uh, check it out more at the website. And if you use promo code SPEARFACTOR, all lowercase, at checkout, they'll give you 5% off. And our last sponsor is One Drop Spearfishing. Basically, an environmentally minded group of guys that love to dive, live and breathe it, 
but their whole focus is feeding friends and family and enjoying their time in the water. Nothing more, nothing less. Um, solid group of guys. And uh, check out their website, One Drop Spearfishing. Check them out on YouTube, One Drop Spearfishing. And if you'd like to uh, sponsor Spear Factor Podcasts, feel free. Uh, you can go ahead and shoot me a note on the website, spearfactor.com. Thank you. So, Bill, why don't you give us a little background about uh, how you got into spearfishing and a little bit of your history? Okay. Uh, I did a little bit of diving. I went, went to La Jolla High School, and uh, I did a little ab diving and spearfishing but it was pretty rudimentary then. And then uh, I went in the Navy for four years, and so I was gone, and I didn't do any. In the 60s, I was working on the sheriff's office, and I had a friend uh, on there, and uh, he was into scuba diving, and he told me I ought to get interested in scuba diving, and I hadn't been back diving at all at that point i was swimming and fishing and uh, he said you could combine those so i got certified for scuba and i found out i needed to have something to do between scuba tank dives so i started free diving and uh, i found that i liked that more than uh, the tank diving <clears throat> so i seriously started getting into that got a boat Actually, I didn't get a boat right away. I I did, yeah. Um, got referred to Jack Perdonovich when I was buying uh, spearfishing gear from our local dive shop, which was the diving locker in Pacific Beach. And I met Jack to get. Uh, he invited me to come over and talk to him and give me all the pointers that he thought I could use and. Uh, so we became friends, and I gradually got accepted into the diving community and got to know a lot of the guys. And <clears throat> over the years that I dove, which was around 40, I mean, seriously, it was about 45 years, I, I dove with 192 different people. Uh, I'd get... People referred to me from the diving locker for, or from some other friend. And uh, if they wanted to go diving, I would say, sure, I'll, I'll take you diving with me if you want to go. You just pay for pay for the gas and we'll go do it. And the rest just sort of happened. What, uh, what, um, what year was that when you first started diving? When I first got really serious about it, it was probably 65, 66. Okay, and then um, uh, what was what were your targeted species uh, in 1965? Were you guys still mainly looking for white sea bass or yellowtail? Or... Well, uh, primarily, uh, I, w- I would say yellowtail was the main uh, target, uh, but Certainly white sea bass at the time of year when they were around were also there. And then I, I would, uh, I would always take a, uh, a decent sized barracuda or a decent sized, uh, bonita. And decent for those would have been probably seven, eight pounds for a 
Barracuda and around 10 for a Bonita maybe. And, and then Yellowtail and I shot Tuna in there too, but they were not as frequently around my dive areas like the Coronado Islands and La Jolla. Uh, so I only shot Tuna out there on two different occasions. And I didn't see them very often <laughs> aside from that. I mean, I, if I would have seen them and I would have had a shot, I would have certainly taken it. Yeah. You, are you talking about the bluefin tuna down? Uh, by the yeah. Coast? Yeah. Bluefin. And they were small. They were small bluefin like, too. Early eighties when, or just maybe throughout your whole time of diving. Well, I was throughout the whole time, uh, not sure. I I had I had a record. I kept a daily log when I would dive. I had who where I went, who I went with, if anybody, and uh, what the conditions were: water temperature, visibility, currents, uh, and what I shot, uh, what I saw that I either shot and hit or shot and missed or shot and lost and and the ones that I got. Yeah, so I always encourage people to keep a log and, and do the same thing because you never know. You Over time, and I'm sure you've noticed, you start to see patterns and then you can be more um, strategic when you decide to use, ask your wife to go diving. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, what were some some common things that you saw like with yellowtail or with your t- whatever targeted species that you noticed as far as through your logs, like as far as currents or tides or, or a moon phase or any of that stuff? Well, I, I did most of my diving, uh, at the Coronado Islands, uh, and I, I would want to go diving. So I would go. And if the current was, not to suit me, I would still swim and give it a try. But um, I can't say that there was anything that really stood out as far as uh, a better time. Usually it was somewhere between April and November for the yellowtail at the islands. And usually it was more like the hot and heavy part would be June, July, August, and maybe into September. But I shot them out there year round, uh, from, I don't think I ever went there in January, but I was there. I shot them in February and I shot them up till November. But I never really gave too much. Uh, I, I just saying I, I never gave too much thought about, uh, you know, I, I would get up to the front of the bait school or I would work the edges of the kelp, uh, up current uh and anchor the boats you know i'd always swim up current from the boat i say always or mostly <laughs> there were a couple of times i didn't once or twice i was real sorry um what, what would you say like this was like 1965 you said you started to get pretty serious about it is that correct yeah and then so when did what year are you still diving now or did you stop no i um I dove up until about 20, probably 2020, no, 2010, probably right right around there, maybe 20, 
12. I had all, those, like I said, I had all those records and I was going through stuff around here and I had so much stuff and I had notebooks full of that and I was looking at it and all my kids are grown up, my grandkids are all grown up and nobody was going to look at it, nobody was going to use it and I wasn't diving anymore so I trashed it all just to get it out of my way. I bet that must have been some interesting reading for some of us uh, as far as looking at dive logs for 40 years, 50 years. Um, yeah. Uh, how old are you right now currently? 84. 84, awesome. Yeah. Did you ever dive with, uh, dive with um, Bill McIntyre? Mm, I don't think so. Yeah, he's about 81. He's up in San Clemente. I was just asking. Sure about that. Uh, yeah, I only Did drove San Clemente. outside of San Diego? I made, I drove to Loreto in Baja the first, right before the road was totally completed. They had it open, but there was a few stretches that weren't uh, paved yet in it. I drove down there and that was like 72 or 73 and I made that drive uh like 75 times and then I flew down there about two or three times and other than that uh, I dove a little bit off the coast up here by between Tijuana and Ensenada a few times but uh, mainly mainly La Jolla and Coronado Islands. Over the course of the years in diving and you know you said um, La Jolla and Point Loma and uh, Coronado's did you notice much of a change, good or bad, as far as um, in the fish populations, or um, you know, as far yeah, as far as this fish population? Well, up until the time when they banned gill netting uh, along close in here, that, that had really a major Ill, bad effect on. Uh, the gill netting had a bad effect on uh, the white sea bass, for sure. You could see a huge decline in that. Uh, or there, there weren't once it once it was banned, then they really came back pretty well in a reasonably short period of time of you know three, four, five years. Um, other than that. Uh, it didn't seem to change too much. We'd get occasional warmer, you know, red tide years. And if it wasn't too, if we didn't get a, a, a red tide during that, why well, it was really pretty nice and a lot more fish. And that's when we'd occasionally get the tuna. And so lately, guys have been getting tuna and they've even shot wahoo up here. And I never saw any wahoo up here and the tuna very scarcely. Uh, so it's it's changed, and of course the uh, Mexican government has had their oar in the water and made it a lot more difficult to uh, dive out there in, at the islands. Yeah, you're um, you're like the third person that I've spoke with uh, talked to me about the impact that gillnet had on um, the fish population just here locally, and that ban happened. It was a, a noticeable increase in fish population. Um, so that's really, it's good to know that too, um, just from divers, not necessarily scientists. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's awesome because you can apply that. It's a simple fix. Um, 
you know. Uh, you can mm-hmm. probably apply that to many different um, reefs and ecosystems and, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, so with all the years of fishing, what would you say your most uh, memorable fish catch was? Probably the ones that stand out the most are the ones where I almost drowned because <laughs> those were really, really exciting. <laughs> Yeah, we got a few of those. I got a few of those too. A couple of my friends do. Yeah. Uh, in our dive club, I was the president for three years, a vice president one year, and when we first formed the club in '94, I decided we should have a safety uh, column as often as we could. Uh, try to point stuff out to people that were getting new new guys that were coming into the sport that might not think about some things. And so I took on the job of writing uh, a safety column for the our monthly newsletter. Was that, was that Probably, the bottom scratchers or the San Diego freedivers? Uh the bottom scratchers were still in. They were still several members alive at uh, that time, but uh, they were down to probably half a dozen. And so our our club was the San Diego Freedivers, the club that I joined at that time, or we started up in '94. Yeah, I'm in the I'm in the club myself. There's a lot of good divers, a lot of a lot of knowledge in that club and history too. I had one of our members got upset with me because I was trying to get uh, what I what I was trying to do was to get people who were divers who weren't members of the club to join the club. And he looked at it like I was trying to get more people to start diving. And I, and he was kind of against that because he didn't want to have more people out there than there already were. And I said, well, you know, I'm not going around golf courses trying to recruit people to come and be divers, but I would like for everybody that is a diver to belong to our club because one Somewhere in the future, they're going to start legislating uh, laws that are really going to affect us, and it's it'll be nice if we have a group of people, because somebody's going to listen to a group where they're not going to give an individual much credit for anything. And I'd like to have everybody that's doing this join the group and, and support it and be ready for when that happens. And so he agreed that that was okay, finally. But uh, no, it's it's, uh, it's funny you mentioned that because I literally did a podcast this week where we were talking about fishermen, divers, um, and how divided everybody is that does fairly the same activity of getting fish, and how much of an impact we could make on the local laws and all of that stuff if we were somehow just binded together rather than um, always, you know, trashing on each other about diving versus fishing or, or whatever it is. But, you know, that's, I think that's a huge thing. Is, is That's a really good point you mentioned that as far as diving, joining a club, and, and I think people don't realize that these clubs um, that are out there, it's almost like they're not just diving clubs, they're conservation clubs, but it's conservation 
in my opinion, kind of the right way from the people that spend time in the water. So they're knowledgeable on the impact that everything has and they see it, you know. That's a good point. And it's uh, the thing about it is if you if you have people that get into the club, you can get different viewpoints from all the members and you can start to do some education uh, along the lines of, you know, don't shoot everything in the world. Uh, if you're after a specific kind of fish, like you're talking about, what's your target, main target? Why? Um, I think that's a good thing that you get people involved and uh, you can pass on some safety information. They can get it, uh, those that want it, and uh, you can, you know, just make your sport uh, known to the public and they know what you're about and and that you're not just out there uh, taking everything in the world like you know you see a lot of a lot of times people going through tide pools and things and picking up everything and they're not gonna utilize it and it just it, it used to be when there weren't so many people around it wasn't too bad if somebody was doing that but with the amount of people we have now uh, using the ocean uh, the bays it's uh it's nice that there are people trying to conserve it i don't mind conserving i don't i don't like the idea of um putting everything off limits like they've done with these uh restricted marine restricted areas we we tried to talk to them when they were doing that about well the pelagic fish don't live here all the time we're not going to hurt if we do this here in the summer when yellowtail come through la jolla it's not going to Free diving is not going to hurt any any species. If you're free diving, you're just not going to. It's not like commercial. It's not even like rod and reel. You have a specific target, and you go go for that, and you're letting everything else, schools of this and schools of that, go by. And uh, you typically you're after a big fish. Uh, sometimes you're after a small one, but I. I, don't, I, I can recall seeing yellowtail as small as six or eight inches, and they're really beautiful. But it's just not, it just didn't make sense to shoot at a five pound or seven pound fish unless you hadn't had one that year and you just wanted a, some yellowtail for ceviche or something for dinner that night. You'd pass up way, way more than you ever shoot. No, that's, that's a super good point. Um... Now, I've also seen on um, patties, you know, the smaller six-inch yellowtail. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, they are beautiful, beautiful little fish. Um, when when you were diving back then, did you notice, like, in general, the size of the fish? Was it smaller? Was it bigger? Were there, like, more 30- and 40-pounders around? Or, were, you know, due to gill netting, were they, on average, a little smaller? Did you notice any trends like that? Well... It was it would be hard to say like that because you'd see you know you'd see days when you would see schools of small yellowtail and you wouldn't see anything maybe in a school that you could get close to that you wanted to shoot and uh, and I've had 
I had one one week where I got a 30 and a 35 pound yellowtail at the islands, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, and, and that was unusual. Those were big fish. I, you didn't you didn't see a 30 pound or 35 pound uh, yellowtail real real often. I mean, you'd see you might see a school of 400 fish come up at you, or a thousand fish couldn't count them all, but. Uh, there wouldn't be there wouldn't be one close to you that was really really obviously big, uh, and I I didn't recall seeing it uh, any of that diminish. My typical routine out there was I'd go out there and I'd anchor my boat and I'd be if I had somebody with me. Uh, that was about probably about half the time I had somebody or maybe a little more than fifty percent of the time I'd have guys going with me but I dove by myself a lot because I wanted to go and if I didn't have anybody during the week you know after I got retired in the 80s why I I could go anytime and I didn't always get somebody to go with me but I don't know <laughs> I don't know where I, think, I went you know, with it, that. It, that that was a big problem even starting out and like you know, 2000 was trying to find people to dive with. That's another good point of those clubs is, you know, and yeah. dive buddies, if you can just, you know, everybody can get on the same page. But yeah, there were so many times um, I dove by myself in the early days, just, you know, for me. Um, and it's not safe necessarily. Uh, you know, at least it's not as safe, as safe as you can make it, I guess. But I think that's the great thing about clubs is that you just that community. Yeah, I um, I had a I got to the point where I I wanted people <clears throat> I wanted people that were diving with me in my boat out at the Coronado Islands to wear a flag on their belt. And one of the members of our club, Bob Johnson, had designed a uh a he had a weight, a two, two and three quarter pound weight that was mounted on a pivot on your waist, on your, uh, weight belt. And it had a, a flag that, uh, you could pull out of this that stood on a mast about, uh, three feet tall. And it was a red and red flag with a white slash on it and a dive flag. And when you would dive, since this was on a, uh, pivot, it would still be pointing up and it would be, you know, your legs would be up in the air or up towards the air and the flag would be pointed up that way and you could dive down and when you came up, it uh, flopped back up where the flag was up in the air because you were laying flat on the water. If you stood up in the water, uh, the flag was up about a little over your head, you know, a little ways over your head. But uh, I... I had lost people out there a couple of times and it took me a long time to find them because some guys would swim out around Pukey Point and go down the windward side and uh, <laughs> to try to find one guy standing on there. If he was laying down when we went looking for him, we weren't going to see him because he wouldn't even resemble a seal at that point. <clears throat> so I I really like people to 
where those because well if you shot something if you shot something or they shot something you come up and yell and uh, they could see where you were or you could see where they were and you swim over and give them a hand if they needed it or vice versa yeah I, I think uh you know that's one of the scary things about diving uh you know when you're on your boat just losing people because it it's just I just never want to make that phone call and try to you know yeah. That's pretty interesting though. That kind of leads me into the whole gear. Like how did the diving gear, how do you think the dive gear has changed over the years? I mean, you dove till 2010. I never even had plastic fins until about then. Um, I'm sorry, I never had carbon fiber fins or any of that stuff till about then. I mean, how has the gear changed over the years? Well, it's, uh, changed dramatically. It was, uh, Guns, guns are way, way improved to what they were originally, or not originally, but when I first started diving. Uh, face masks, huge, huge difference. I had, uh, I've still got some, uh, old Voigt swim masters that had a Pinocchio nose on it with a, uh, purge, so you could purge. And I, I started out diving with those, and they were really a great mask back then. I lost one on the surf one day, and they, they cost $3. So I spent about 30, 40 minutes trying to find that in the surf coming in after a dive. <laughs> uh, dive masks change. You know, low volume, that just increases your ability to clear your ears farther, easier. And uh, the snorkel improved a lot they made them a little bigger a little bigger diameter and uh, put a purge in them and put a a baffle on the top to where it drains the water out coming down if it's slushing over uh, weight belts got away from actual heavy bulky lead chunks hanging around your waist to uh, nice uh, sewed up pockets full of buckshot Lots and lots of great improvements. And the uh, safety part of it, that uh, got uh, better wetsuits, better uh, uh, life vests. Uh, guns have improved. Uh, fins, I can't think of anything that hasn't vastly uh, better than it used to be. You want to succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Did you guys dive with float lines and uh, floats back in the uh, early I I had have done that, but I primarily uh, used a reel, a gun with a reel. I was never figuring to shoot uh, up here. I mean, I was never figuring to shoot something that was going to uh, be too big. I I just didn't. Uh, I I passed up a, a thresher shark one day that uh, really, really clear water, beautiful conditions, and I saw him coming. I I knew something was coming because the bait took off and. I made a dive down and got down about 20, 30 feet and was laying there and here he came and he went by probably four feet off the end of my gun. I could have shot him 
in the eyeball, the gill play, or the gills, or anywhere. And I thought, mm, that's good eating, but I'm uh, hooked to this gun with a reel, and uh, it's never going to work out. <laughs> so you know, you you pass that yeah, up. I've, if you got the float line, you're gonna. If you want to shoot it, you can go ahead and shoot it. Uh, same with black sea bass. I didn't shoot those very often because I didn't. Uh, I, I liked them. I liked the the meat, but I didn't want to shoot a big one. I would rather have one around fifty to eighty pounds somewhere than to shoot a big one. Jack always said those things ought to have work painted on the side of them. Ought to have what was that work? Yeah. So much work that you, you should be advised before you shoot this. It's going to be a lot of work. That's perfect. It's, it's so true. It's, I guess it's a good point. Like, you know, there's always a little bit of maturity as you grow as a diver and knowing, you know, to hold back and when not to hold back and when to hold back because, you know, especially with social media these days, everybody wants a picture of a giant fish. And if you're not equipped for it, it's, just not going to be beneficial for anybody, including the fish and that, you know? Yeah, I got, I got a little sad about the club after I, I wasn't quite as, I, I wasn't quite as active in the club when this happened, but I had, I had guys criticizing each other or somebody, not in our own little newsletter, but going online and Criticizing one guy's criticizing somebody for shooting too small of a fish, and the other somebody else is maybe criticizing somebody for shooting too big of a fish. And I'm thinking, you guys, you, you ought to work this stuff out at the club meeting. Talk to the guy first of all. It's you know, there can be a real good point to to shoot a, a small fish if you have a particular real good reason to do it. Uh, you know, if you shoot a big fish true it's it's a breeding fish and you're taking them out of uh, the breeding pool but there's a good point to be made for shooting a big fish too so but the main thing should be you should take it up with whoever's doing something that displeases you and instead of getting it out and airing it out in the uh, whole public right imagine that actually uh, talking to people about an issue <laughs> uh it's a good point you bring up as far as I've seen this a lot too with sheep's head is always a, a big hot button for some people. Um, shooting too many, shooting too big. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Did back in, I mean, they're great ceviche, but did you guys use the target sheep's head as well? Target shoot? Oh, you mean did we target them? I, I love sheep's head. They're probably one of the best white meat fish. Uh, they, they fry real well. They're, they're a, a nice big fish like that. You can have, you got all the meat. You can make a really good fish, uh, broth or, you know, to make soup out of. They're great for that. And the meat is good in the, that too. It's, it's a very nice fish. And, you know, when, if I had a good shot at a, you know, 10 pound shoot, maybe even a five pound sheep's head. I, I, and, and the and the shot was good. I wasn't going to put my uh, shaft into some rocks behind them. I I would take that. I like sheep's head. 
Did, did you notice um, the same with sheep's head as far as uh, any difference in the population over the years? Well, I would say there's definitely a whole heck of a lot less of them. Uh, you know, my, I, I didn't really see all that many sheep's head free diving. I could get sheep's head when I was tank diving and I, I was using a pole spear. So I did that during the winter when the, uh, yellowtail and white sea bass weren't around. I would, uh, I, I saw that they uh, they're worth protecting. Uh, you know, there's there's a point to have some limits on. Uh, I don't know if we call them ground fish, but certainly the fish that are uh, going to be staying in one area that, as opposed That's to pelagic fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've noticed that too. Um, you know. Sheep's head, like you see people with stringers full of them. And um, I think the big issue now is that the diving population has exploded as well. And, uh, you know, along with fishing, um, we as divers, like, have the opportunity to be selective, right? And if I yeah. always say there's nothing wrong, I don't think, with taking, you know, one or two. But you got to understand the impact that that fish plays, the role it plays in that ecosystem and the impact that it has by removing it, um, you know, on the urchins and especially the sheep's head and just the breeding thing as well. Um, so I'm, you know, I, I try to not be the moral police because everybody has their own code, but just, you know, I think that's the good thing about a club is just educating um, each other on targeted fish that everybody's going for just so everyone can make a little bit more smarter decisions to pull the trigger or not, you know. You know, during lobster season, I'd be diving for lobster and abalone and uh, and fish and found gear. I, I found absolutely tons of, you know, I, I found masks and snorkels and fins and spear guns and fishing rods and knives and I even found a spare air one day tank diving and I doing that I would shoot rockfish they're little they're only about you know a little bigger than your hand but you get a nice little fillet of really nice firm fish and they're they're, they're really good for you know frying or make ceviche I, I yellowtail is still my favorite fish food fish because you can uh, you can make ceviche out of it you can smoke it, you can fry it, you can barbecue it, you can even make chili. Uh, Bob Johnson had a recipe for chili, yellowtail chili, and it was edible. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So you're saying it wasn't that good? Well, it was good, but it wouldn't, you know, if you were expecting to get uh, uh, beef... <laughs> Beef flavor with right. it, it's not not close to that. But it was certainly it was good. It wouldn't uh, probably make it for a lot of people because uh, there are a lot of people who are prejudiced against fish, and it's only because they never had any really decent fish. I, I can certainly uh, identify with that. I mean, for a lot of years, I enjoyed hunting fish, 
And there was only like one or two ways I actually enjoyed cooking it, but I never really had a meal where I was like, wow, that's delicious. Until um, I was in Hawaii when I was, you know, in my early 20s and then um, had some some apaka-paka, which is real deep fish, but it showed me that there's ways to cook the fish and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So then I had some friends show me some, some, some really good recipes and uh, yeah, it's a game changer when you can actually like the thing that you're killing um, for lack of a better term. Yeah, I, uh, I really enjoyed cooking fish for people that, uh, and I had a lot of people. I would uh, take a take a yellowtail and marinate it in some marinade that I would make up, and it uh, either that or or cook it uh, with uh, bacon wrapped around it like they do with a filet mignon, and put mayonnaise on the main main part of the meat to give it some uh, protection from the heat right off the bat. And they would swear that it wasn't fish. And I said, well, this is fish. It's fresh, and it's that's why it tastes good to you. And, you know, yellowtail certainly has a flavor. It, it shouldn't taste strong and or taste bad. But I I had people that didn't think they liked fish that uh, liked some the way I cooked it, including at the club barbecue a couple of years I did the uh, Barbecue. Yeah, one of the uh, one of our really popular ways to have yellowtail, the smoked yellowtail, is cut it super thin strips, so it's like almost like jerky. By the time after you marinate it and smoke it, and it's it's delicious. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's a really good recipe. I just never uh, the mayonnaise with the uh, bacon wrap. Yellowtail, that sounds delicious. It is. Put some sesame seeds on there and throw it on a barbecue, and the, the mayonnaise practically will explode. You know, you're, you got to watch out for the fire because you don't want to, you don't want your steaks catching fire. But uh, it seals the when the mayonnaise burns up like that, it seals the juice in and it keeps it very nice. And I usually will cook the bacon partially because you don't leave the, the fish on there long enough for the bacon to cook. Uh, you know, that's the main thing people do wrong with fish is overcook it. Any kind of seafood shouldn't be overcooked. <clears throat> How about um, your marinade? Did you have like a special marinade or just any generic marinade? Yeah, generally I'd, I'd make my own. I use lime juice and a little wine and uh, some, uh, I'd like peanut oil if I was going to have people that weren't allergic to peanuts. And uh, let's see. Garlic, pepper, that's that's pretty pretty close to most of it, I think, without going and looking up the recipe. <clears throat> and that would be white wine, too, unless it was yellowtail, and then you could use red wine if you wanted to, yellowtail for tuna or, you know. Um, how did you find out about like those recipes, like so the club, did you guys have uh, cooking as a big portion of um, 
of some of the education actually in the club when you have to talk about it, like different ways to cook fish? Was that a big focus? Yeah. Yeah. We used to, we used to, I, I put several recipes in there when I was, uh, diving of, um, recipes for smoking fish, recipes for making fish chowder and, uh, recipes for barbecuing and, so other other members put uh, you know different recipes and methods of doing things in there like that. We it wasn't every month. I mean we'd put it in there. Usually the uh, newsletter editor was looking for any kind of you know stuff he could put in there. So I think that's that's a you know one of the great things about a club is like when guys have been diving for so long, they actually don't realize how much knowledge you have until you you talk with um younger members or younger younger divers and you know you say a couple of things and they're just like blown away by it um and i think it's it's funny because it's just stuff you acquired over like you know the years and you forget about what it's like to start out without any um mentorship or direction or anything like that you know for a long time you just swam off the beach and figured it out on your own that's um kind of what we did i mean how did you figure out the free diving aspect of everything back you know in the 60s did, did they obviously didn't have any classes or anything did you get stuff just passed down from diver to diver yeah pretty much i like i said i got referred to jack i was i was buying a gun uh I wanted to buy a gun, and the guys at the diving locker said, well, you know, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I want to shoot yellowtail or something like that. And they said, well, you probably, maybe the guns, the only guns we got in here, you, you know, are more for uh, not that big a fish, maybe. So you might want to call, you know, get see if you can talk to Jack Perdonovich. He uh, lives over in Point Loma, and... So I called and he said, sure, come on over and we'll talk about it. I'll tell you and, and I'll sell again to you if you're. So I went over there and, uh, Jack was always willing to talk to anybody about it, about diving and, and uh, it was the beginning of a nice friendship for me and, and for him too. I, I hope, I, I think it was. He, uh, I only dove with him a few times. Uh, I dove with him once on my boat, but he he had gotten to the age where the sunshine and the pounding of the boat was a little tough to take, and uh, my boat was only a 21-foot boat, so it wasn't all that big and it wasn't all that comfortable, and there was not all that much shade. <laughs> so, and I dove with him once on a commercial trip to San Clemente for spearfishing uh he and wally were on that trip uh so you know just word of mouth yeah it's um it's, it's kind of amazing i just think we take a lot of things for granted um and i think that's why you got to give so much respect to a lot of the older divers uh there was no social media. There was nothing, um, you know, uh, before. And it's just really cool to see 
how, I mean, I always felt like spearfishing was kind of cultish back then where everybody was pretty open because if you found another diver, you were all excited to meet another <laughs> diver, a buddy to dive with. And uh, everything was like word of mouth um, for, for me originally when I was starting too. Uh, did it feel like that? I mean, it's like almost like cultish. Yeah, I uh, I know one thing I uh, figured out on my own. <laughs> it, when you're when you're diving, you don't want to make eye contact with a fish. If you've got a school of say, you know, fifty or so fish, or whether there's five of them there. If you can uh, point the gun at them, but don't look them and don't look them in the eye, because boy, that fish will get you looking at him right in the eye, and uh, he'll go into a gear you never thought was possible, and uh, jet on out of there. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, as far as looking a fish in the eye and, and it's like nowadays you can read about it and, and someone will tell you like you know you're saying now don't look a fish in the eye but then you know back in the I can't imagine the 70s 60s 70s 80s where it's you, you figure it out pretty quick I guess after you spook the first five of them not to look at them and then it took me longer uh, than that <laughs> was it oh yeah <laughs> The first 25, 50 times, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's just, uh, it, it's pretty cool. I mean, did you ever dive with Terry Moss? Mm, I don't think I did. I've, uh, I've talked with him a bit and he mentioned me in his book. Uh, I got a, a page in there and he sent me an autographed copy of it, which I've still got. Uh, I'm pretty sure I didn't ever dive with him, though. Yeah, I mean, at the time, you must have heard stories about all the giant bluefin and all that stuff down in Guadalupe Island. Yeah. Mm. I, I did all my diving uh, in, in the Sea of Cortez from Loretto. Like I said, I made that. I used to go down there for... One day to drive down, six days of diving, and then one day to drive back. And uh, oh, we were shooting really group, grouper and Cabrilla and amberjack and um, roosterfish. What was your goal going down there? Were you were you looking for big yellowtail or grouper or um, just trying to get away and dive? Oh, uh, I like I like the Cabrilla, and if I I'd shoot. Uh, 15, 20 pound Cabrilla on up to, I've shot them up to about 40 pounds and grouper and I'd bring a lot of fish back with me when I came back from down there. I'd, I'd shoot yellowtail there too and we would eat a lot of fish when we went down there, of course. Uh, yeah, that sounds like some huge uh, Cabrilla. 40, you said 40 pounds? Yeah. Yeah, well, I'd That'd be pretty awesome. I, I know, I think the record is around 50 pounds or something like that, but for spotted Cabrilla. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, how was the, I mean, the traveling down there at the time, I imagine when you got past Cincinnati, it was kind of like the Wild West. Well, the traveling back when they first opened the road was just, you know, it was a, a 
two-lane road with uh, a lot of times not much of a shoulder. Um, and it was kind of, we'd leave, I'd leave here at midnight, so I'd get in there around one o'clock in the afternoon. And, uh, it was a, it was certainly a dangerous ride, but <clears throat> we, we had a few occurrences, but no major crashes. Uh, I, I rolled one truck down there, but nobody got hurt. Uh, we were going relatively slow. And it was, uh, a great place to go dive, but with uh, the changes everywhere, the changes down there, they started having, uh, every time I'd go down there, it seemed like they closed another area that you couldn't spearfish. You could you could fish there, and you could dive there, but you couldn't spearfish there, but the fishermen could fish there. And we would go down and, you know, there was times when I was down there where Alfredo, the guy that I met and would stay with and ran the boats for us, uh, the fishermen would be there and they wouldn't be catching any fish because the fish were all eating little tiny uh, pinheads and they didn't want uh, a sardine or anything else. And we could shoot them, you know, provided the visibility was good. If the visibility was screwed up, the fishermen could catch them, and we couldn't see them to get them. So everybody got their turn. But they had uh, closed out more places to where it just got to be too much of a hassle for me to bother with going down there. Yeah, I've heard that um, in several places down in, in, in Baja, southern Baja especially, where they do not want divers down there at all. You can fish it, um, and but for whatever reason, it's a co-op there or whoever it is. They don't want spearfishing in there at all, and I, I'm not exactly yeah. sure why. Yeah. I'm sure there's a reason, um, but I don't know if it's fishing because you can release the fish um, or not. But yeah, it's like definitely not the first time hearing that story. Yeah, well, I, I can tell you why they why they feel that way because Mexicans have gone out there, and this is not gringos. This is Mexicans have gone out there on those reefs and shoals, and with gone down there with hookah and taken everything off of it. And spear fishermen, you just can't you you can't hurt those fish that bad. I mean, there just aren't enough spear fishermen to do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think it's divers. A mis, it's a misplaced. Yeah, I think divers take like one less than one percent of all fish intake. You know. Oh, I'm sure it's less than one percent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about how many times you swim around and you see fish and you don't shoot anything. Um, you know, yeah. It's, even with our population growing the way that it is. I, I don't yeah. see us making a drastic, you know, doing drastic damage to certain areas. I think we're specifically where we can really kind of have an impact is on, you know, smaller reefs when we're going and targeting certain species and we just mm -hmm. hit it hard, hit it hard every weekend. And then eventually, you know, especially slow growing fish like sheep's head. Yep. Uh, yeah, there's lots of times time. I've lots of times <clears throat> I've gone out, but I haven't got anything. Right. I mean, that's 
more often than not, half the time for me, uh, you know, especially when you're being selective. Yeah. <clears throat> so I gotta, I'm gonna try to wrap things up here. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but do you have any good shark stories from diving the coral? Shark, shark stories? Yeah, shark uh, stories. Well, <laughs> one day I was diving out of a uh, children's pool. And I was out about a uh, quarter to a half mile. outside, kind of working my way, you know, west, away from uh, La Jolla Shores. And I see a boat coming toward me, and it's a pretty good size uh, open fishing boat. Um they kept coming and eventually they got up to where I was and they said there there are a couple of commercial fishermen in there and they got a, a big uh, net saying whatever. Anyway, they said, hey, we've been running our gill nets up off La Jolla, uh, I mean up off uh, Del Mar and down from there and we've seen this big shark and we've been following him and he's coming your way. And I said, well, okay, uh, you mind if I get in? Are you sure it wasn't? Because the way they were describing it, I said, you sure it wasn't a killer whale because of the size of it? And he said, no, we're commercial fishermen. We know the difference between a killer whale and a shark. It's a shark, and it's big. And so I said, well, do you mind if I get in your boat and take a look at it? And they said, no. So I handed them my gun, cut up over the side, and they went back up north a little ways and could see the fin sticking out of the water and it's headed from where we came from so i said can you get up alongside of it uh so i can take a look at it? i'd like to see if it's a, a hammerhead because <clears throat> we had one of our one of my friends that had a run in with a hammerhead two summers in a row <clears throat> and uh so i said yeah so we pulled up alongside of it and this is a this is a 21, 22 foot boat, and that shark was when they pulled up alongside of it, it was as big as the boat, and it was a white. And the guy says, "Do you want to shoot it?" And I said, <laughs> "With this, I got a Predator's gun with a reel on it." And I said, "No, <laughs> I don't think so." <clears throat> and so he said, "Well, okay, um, what do you want to do now?" I said, "Well, you can take me back over where I was, and I can get off there, I guess." Is he going to get back in the water? I said, well, you know, my clothes are over on the beach somewhere. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to get back in the water. He said, well, you're not worried about it? I said, well, I don't, I haven't shot anything today and there's no blood in the water that I know of. And he seems to be, if you guys have been following him all this way and he's going south, <clears throat> we'll go over that ways a little bit away. So I'm not right in his way. And yeah, I'm going to get back in the water. So I did. And I never saw him again, which was okay by me. That's that's a big girl. You want to shoot it? I, I imagine the shaft would probably bounce off the damn thing. No, I don't think it would bounce off. I think it would go in, but then I'm going to lose my gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, you'd have to have, I guess, uh, like uh, jaws, like you know, half inch line and cleat it off to the boat. Hopefully the boat didn't sink. Yeah. 
I've seen a few more sharks in Loretto and around that area, but I haven't. I never had another run in personally. I know of a few up up here, but uh, that was the only really uh, significant one that I had. Well, that's pretty good, though. I mean, all those years, just that one encounter. Yeah. Yeah, and I spent uh, I spent uh, probably a thousand hours in the in the water because I was diving, free diving, three days a week after I retired. I and and before that, whenever I could, and then in the winter while well, I was tank diving. So I spent an awful lot of hours in the in the ocean. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've heard people telling stories. I guess I've just been lucky. I've seen them out of the water. Um, before getting in or getting out or whatever, mm-hmm. never mm-hmm. while I was uh, in the water, fortunately, as far as the, as far as the great whites concerned. Um, well, Bill, I'd like to thank you for taking time out of your day to, to speak with uh, myself and uh, the listeners. Is there anything you want to say, like in closing statement to all the divers that are listening? No, I, well, I'll tell you this. I had I had some of the guys that I dove with kind of complaining about the fact that guys are diving now have got it so good. And I said, yeah, they're getting an occasional wahoo up here, and they, they're shooting some tuna and some stuff we didn't get a shot at. But would you rather have it the way it is now with all this regulation and over-regulation where you can't dive here, you can't do this, you can't do that? you got to have a visa, a passport, a uh, tourist card, insurance, this, that, other thing. Would you rather have your turn at it now than what we had when we're doing it? And he said, yeah, well, okay, yeah, we're, we're satisfied with what we had. <laughs> and I'm certainly satisfied I had my turn at it when I had my turn. I wish everybody well doing it, and uh, I think it's a great sport. That's it. Thank, thank you, Bill, for everything you did to contribute you know, to the San Diego Freedivers and the local dive community and just diving in general. Um, I, I really appreciate the, uh, the, I guess, you know, all, all the hard, hardships are just putting in all the work for us so we could benefit from your knowledge. So thanks for that. Okay. Well, you're sure welcome. Enjoyed talking with you. All right, that concludes this episode of The Spear Factor. Thanks again to Bill for taking the time out of your day to give me a call and share all that exper- all those experiences with, with us here on the show. Um, and I just wanted to say thanks again to Tom for reaching out. I appreciate it. And you guys stay safe out there. wild game in wild places tune in to hunt stand presents saturdays at 8 30 p.m eastern waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment spend your saturdays with life on the water join captain brandon simmons for fishing diving travel and so much more you want to succeed you want to fish you want to be one of the greatest oh look at that thing dude Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. (laughs) The destination for outdoor entertainment.